some reason it's a different name. <laughs> you have to call it that. Yeah, yeah below the equator is a cyclone and then above the equator is a hurricane. But when is it a typhoon? It's a typhoon when it's in Asia for some reason. <laughs> 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 On the, I put, I found a map that like broke down that when the same event happens in which place and what they call it. Um, mate, let's drop back to no video just so the latency is less. like an old time romantic phone call <laughs> now also don't don't be worried about radio silence or taking your time to answer or something because we're not we're not live you know uh i think my biggest worry is just if i don't understand your accent for a quick moment <laughs> but i might ask you to repeat something absolutely yeah my mate um he just met a girl and they've been talking online for many months and she just came over to visit him because she's from another country and I like he brought her out to meet up with all of us all of his mates and then I just realized wow she is having to work so hard right now just to understand what we're all saying <laughs> because of the accent uh you don't watch many Australian movies mate no that's one way to practice um the accent but I haven't. Yeah. I, I can't say I've watched any uh, Australian movies. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty. Um, it spins me out what is a foreign movie, and <laughs> what is not. Because in Australia, even though we're on the other side of the world, all like Iron Man and shit is not a foreign movie, even though it's from way further away than say like Indonesia, which is right next to us on our borders. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's kind of funny. I think of a foreign film as anything that's really not a Hollywood blockbuster or, you know, really... It's like... true. Somehow Hollywood has placed itself as being the center of the world. <laughs> yeah. And they're not talking about foreign to where you are. They're talking about foreign to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Even an idea or concept, you know, then it could still be labeled as a foreign true. film. Yeah, even if it's got all the same actors and it's made <laughs> with all the same techniques, if the ideas are a little wacky. Yeah. That's cool. Um... Do you think you're gonna make? You think you're gonna compose for a Hollywood film one day? You know what? I honestly hope not. Uh, I that <laughs> that is just not in line with anything that I ever see myself doing. I even have uh, a hard time just working with uh, film directors in general, um, unless unless we we really establish like a good connection beforehand, and you know we think on the same page on the, on the same wavelength. But a lot of the yeah. times I just see myself actually not really aligning so much with directors or, or movie makers or film producers, but rather so uh, I'm closer to choreographers in that way. Cool. Let's talk more about that. I'll just do an intro. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wombat Radio. Today, I'm in Sydney and our guest, Carlos, he is in New York. G'day, Carlos. Hello. <laughs> uh do you want to, let's keep going, talking about how you seem to jive really well with choreographers when you're composing as opposed to other um, other mediums or disciplines or forms. 
I guess I, I found this interest in, in writing and working with choreographers and dance uh, probably in my junior or senior year of where I attended Interlochen Arts Academy. And we had majors of all sorts, uh, everything that you could possibly think of, and people interested in every kind of medium. Particularly right after uh, seeing Schoenberg's Verklärte Nacht and seeing a bunch of my friends really uh, really take on and take on that piece of music that that was something to me very uh, very forward very progressive something i i never listened to schoenberg before that and i always thought i would detest that kind of music and this atonality but this was really at the brink of all that and i found movement to be a very good passageway between connecting with the composer is thinking sonically and what the dancer can do to 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 intake that in their body and display it in a different way that transcends that yeah yeah i like what you say about thinking sonically because i find most of the time when i make music for dance i'm making it in ableton live and so as well as listening to it i'm also looking at it mm-hmm and I sometimes worry about making decisions based on how things look and their relationship, their neatness in the frame of a, a written composition rather than just trusting. Because so often, even when you're looking at a composition, you're imagining it or something. So I wonder, I just wonder about that. If when you're making music for that, that you know is going to be danced to, if you, if part of your, imagination is on the dancers becoming that uh, like do you imagine the dancing typically i mean i i guess i i imagine a sort of movement or perhaps even a, a gesture a gesture not so much a physical gesture but rather a a, a sonic gesture um because the choreography all of that is just beyond me as as a creative i i cannot do anything that that other dancers and movers can do uh, the way they the way they think rethink these ideas um and possibly even tell a better story than the way i was even thinking about it is just beyond me so normally when i do work with choreographers we uh we normally establish some type of some type of rapport uh ideas that we like even other uh, mediums of art that we both agree with whether it's visually or poetically and it's from those elements that we really take and we stem from, and, and that's where we make our piece together. Uh, so, did, do you, does someone ever come to you and already have a piece of music in mind and they want something like that? Um, when you're talking about working from a shared medium appreciation, you're like, okay, that picture, we're both into that. Is, is there everything like, okay, that song also, or that, composition we're both into that composition i don't want you to make anything like it but somehow uh yeah that that's typically how some things stem off and it is actually kind of rare that i do get people to say i we do both like this but i don't want something like in this similar yeah. vein <laughs> they want like a remix S- yeah sometimes of that exact thing. exactly of the exact <laughs> same thing and i'm like just sample the song then like at that point i can't do yeah it just get the rights make the song yeah Exactly, and I I really can't I can't replicate a song like that. It's just that's just not that's not who I am. I'm not a mockingbird. I can just <laughs> you know and no. uh, and even just logistically that usually that song has had 
hundreds of thousands of dollars behind it and many people at the peak of their careers working together on something and then they want you with like a pencil or a laptop to somehow make something as that that's competing with it on the same uh with the to the same like um what's the word level is the wrong word but like somehow yeah they want something in the same category that also looks and feels the same and you're like actually that full symphony is not going to happen on four hundred dollars <laughs> yeah of course not um but it is i think it's better for both of us if if it is um approached with something that is uh, abstracted away from both our mediums so it's it's not necessarily a dance piece and it's not necessarily a piece of music but something else that perhaps we both enjoy and from that from that point we can move forward because from there I, I guess we're both interpreting it in a similar fashion yeah. if we both get it um, yeah and and I think that's what that's what we can use is that idea rather than an example true yes and then it's not it's um, generative rather than restrictive. Yeah. Because the, the example kind of restricts you to competing with the example. Uh, what about not Hollywood film, but what about silent film or foreign film? What do you think is in that um, that allows more interest or excitement to compose for? I actually love writing for, for silent film. And I actually did that uh, as a big project with a couple of my friends a couple years ago. I would say this was my sophomore year and during undergrad. And I was invited to do, do a rescoring of Nosferatu, uh, the old vampire movie. And it was going to be performed awesome. in, in October. And I... This was the first time I was rewriting a silent film and also the first time I was watching Nosferatu. So it took, it took a couple of tries to, to watch the movie uh, with, with the sound that was originally composed for it and without. And I think actually the first time I watched it, I watched it without. So that way I could get a good interpretation of the acting for itself without any kind of skew of, of what the original quote unquote uh, music is. And, and so I watched it without the first time to get a good idea of like, all right, like just naturally, I guess synesthetically almost, um, what, what do these visuals provoke for me? Uh, where, where do I see sound coming out of, uh, whether, uh, you know, what, what elements can play up to, play up to a certain scene or, or an idea that's, that's going on behind. Um, and it's, there's, there's that aspect of freedom, you know, because everyone who worked on Nosferatu is, long passed away and uh and it's kind of up to up to me to kind of re-envision it for a contemporary audience and show it off to to the 21st century audience you know with with a new with a new look with a new style um and hopefully doing it justice to what the director uh could possibly appreciate in this day and age and uh yeah we had a lot of fun that night uh probably one of the best performances i think i think i ever had is it online? Can can people go and listen to it? Unfortunately, not. It is. It was, I guess, ephemeral in that way. <laughs> uh, that yeah. uh, the the DIY venue that we that we performed it at um, just didn't have the tools or capability to really screen everything or document it all 
uh, appropriately. Yeah. Oh, well. I would, we'll just have to take your word that it was mind-blowing and beautiful. <laughs> and, uh, can you talk about the um, when you're rescoring and uh, I guess what is the role of the composer when the piece that they're making sound for already exists and it's already like the dance has already been made or the film has already been made and they're coming in to score it what is your job then like who who, are you responsible for the audience or for the director's vision or for your own vision or the relevance of the time or making the actors look good like (laughs) um, covering over certain things by distracting the audience with a sound during one of their bad acting scenes or I don't know what do you think your responsibility is I believe uh, my responsibility as a composer uh, for for a project like this is a bit more I mean I guess every film is is different but I'm, I'm just speaking in experience to uh, how I dealt with Nosferatu is I I wasn't really so typically concerned with the with the director um, and and his vision uh, typically also because uh, Nosferatu in in this version at least uh, was uh, how do I say it, it the the vampire the person that played the vampire had these had these features these physical features that was supposed to represent the vampire as a Jew and that the Jew oh. was an evil person and I actually that was re- common in that time yeah it was like a little slight kind of like jab at them you know it was very kind of um, uh, under the radar but you you right. look at certain instances throughout the throughout the film and you see maybe yeah. like uh, pieces of writing that Nosferatu would write, and you could see similarities between that and and Hebrew. And uh, I actually noticed this because my my composition teacher at the time, Dr. Matthew Greenbaum, uh, who who is a practicing Jew, um, saw these similarities and was like, "Yes, this is <laughs> this is somewhat very anti-Semitic this is of its time." Yeah. Yeah, and and so that was that was something that really turned me off, especially with the director's vision for it, because everything else I. I really quite enjoyed and I was just so innocent to that idea that I didn't even think about you know the the physical traits that were that were similar in a way obviously a lot more um uh emphasized and and exaggerated but um so yeah I didn't really think of too much of the of the, the of the director and the acting I it's it was funny looking at the acting and it's this old old movie uh because everything I guess acting styles developed so much or I maybe mean, oh I should say God. develop, but changed, changed so much. Yeah, they're they're so exasperated. Everything is so extreme, it's so dramatic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and at some point, people even... look at reality TV today and they think they think that it's all drama. And you're like, actually, if you look at these old like melodramas, anyway, yeah, it's like they went straight from a stage to a to a camera, which I guess yeah. often they would. Yeah, and I what I. What I what I try to do to conquer that because some of the some of the gestures were just so like over emphatic that it almost it almost felt comedy like it, I it made me laugh at some points when when the wife would be uh, sad that her husband would be leaving for a while you know like it it wasn't meant to be that way but but that's how it comes off today in in this day and age and so uh, that's 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 a key point right there that I that I try to take advantage of and try to 
make sure that the the music can somehow slightly uh, still still get to that uh, feeling that emotion of of disparity um, or mm. or whatever the whatever the reaction is at that point and and make sure that it doesn't even cross your mind that it's somewhat comical uh just because yeah, of yeah right the exaggerated uh somehow you're working as a translator of yeah. between time <laughs> yeah yeah i i guess i would i would say translator between time is is definitely a good uh good way to put it because mm. without that um the context isn't there and you know there's no there's no actual uh voice um so you can't you can't actually uh there, there's nothing, there's nothing vocal about it that that you that you have to uh, underpin. Everything's all subtitles yeah. Uh, yeah. that 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 come on a screen. Um, True. But besides that, it then became kind of I, I it became eternally me. I I wanted to know what what Nosferatu meant for me. What what a vampire coming from the dead meant for me, and what kind of sounds those would evoke. Uh, what kind of sounds does a vampire have if I were to create the first ever vampire, maybe? Um, so with that, I thought I thought so much of uh, lower frequencies, and I loved I loved the double bass at this point uh, to to underpin that. You know, um, something about something about lower frequencies always uh, scare people. That's just that's just a natural phenomenon. I mean, uh, before an earthquake happens, it's those low rumblings that that get all the animals like all hyped up, and they dogs start barking and everything, and then that's how you know like an earthquake's gonna happen, and boom, it happens, and you hear that lion and like thunderous roar at the bottom of it, and it just strikes fear into your heart. And uh, I I I try to use the double bass in a similar fashion that could that could emit something like that. Mm. What's I'm interested to hear what is your responsibility as the composer when you're working with somebody for a, a new piece, a new piece of dance or a new piece of film or what it, whatever it is, some kind of installation, a, a night of music. And there's no, like you're all coming in as the creative team and you're all starting together. Yeah. How do you approach what you take care of? that's that's so much more different than than dealing with something yeah. where there's no uh, other speculators in the creative process that were there um yeah that's a little bit more intimidating uh working with <laughs> working with other other creatives that uh, of course it's also exciting but you also want to make sure that you're doing the piece justice and that you're never falling yes. short of anything and that your communication with the other artists is actually uh that the artist it feels comfortable uh, being able to criticize your work as well. You know, you always you, if if I'm the kind of person that's a hundred percent confident in my work and I don't want anything changed, then I'm practically a tyrannical leader that like that they're stuck with 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 this music. Um, yeah, and it's more boring for you, I guess, as well because you're not then in a team anymore. You're just uh, an agent delivering. Yeah, you're just you're just an agent, kind of delivering delivering whatever whatever I want, and I don't I don't want that in any kind of collaboration that I ever do. I think it even shows in the performance that these two different entities uh, are present in one piece, and they just don't seem like they're really communicating with each other, even on the creative level. Um, yeah. So for me, it really it just really has it boils down to just. Uh, 
almost becoming one with the artist. You, you guys have to, you have to be on the same rhythm in a certain way, whether, um, whether it's abstract things like pre uh, preferences in food, uh, you got to know what they want out of it and the things that they're bringing to the table. Uh, is, there, is there an issue of identity? Is there an issue in politics that we're bringing up? Um, all these things that, that are variables on the table that you, can, that you can work with. Maybe perhaps one of you guys have more strengths than the others. And it's really just kind of figuring out, um, you know, how do we set the tone? Where, where do we do the mood? Uh, at what points do you want something and give me a time frame of, of how you see things in, the, in a larger structure and how, how far away from that time frame can we go from it too? you know, uh, does, does everything have to have a strict form to it or, or, or is there, is there room for play? And if so, where, and what, what will that evoke at that moment? How do you work out where there is room for play? Often it kind of comes uh, in a rehearsal process uh, while, while there's, there's a focus on something else and um, that's, I, think, I think those are some of the most glorious moments. Uh, probably one of the best that I, that I remember was I was playing around with a, with a delay, it was like a harmonic delay uh, plugin that I had on my computer. And I was mostly using it to to build like a harmonic wall with with a flute that I was playing with, with this dancer, and it created this very nice ambient kind of texture in the background, and it was very nice. And the final scene was uh, uh, the dancers, the group of dancers pouring pouring from a tea kettle this water, and it started dripping on the floor, and you could hear the water actually, you know, hitting the floor, kind of making those triplet sounds. And I was just kind of goofing around and I just made this simple little pop against the side of my cheek, like. And with this harmonic delay pedal, it started becoming droplets. And so you went from the organic sound that was, that was happening in the actual choreography and kind of transcending it into the into the uh, manipulated sound to the to the sound that I was working with, and that was all through play. Um, and so I guess play is always relevant and throughout the throughout the creative process, and it's just kind of weeding out what's what what works well and what doesn't. Yeah, and somehow, it, especially with that example of play, what it what it means or what it what the word what the referencing of play what actually happens in play is a deep communication between elements that uh otherwise could just exist without talking to each other but if you if there is play that is held up it's like um everyone trying to keep a balloon in the air everyone has to be present and watching and responding for the play to happen and so it's like uh play is almost like a, a thermometer or a, a reading of the health of the creative environment somehow be present i love that everyone <laughs> has to be present no it, it's it's true i see i love um i i, I sometimes work with kids uh, my last uh, one of my one of my jobs was being a camp counselor for 11 year olds uh, 11 year old boys and this was at the what age what would that mean at you're at the camp and you like 
uh, help out or they come to you and they ask like for uh, problems that I guess got, or? I guess it wasn't yeah not so much like counseling but rather I was I was just there I they like they would come they would come to the camp for about six or eight weeks and I was pretty much their new parent for for those six to eight weeks me and another co-counselor wow. we would we would uh you know, we would be in the same in the same log cabin as them, and we would we would organize activities and all these things, and all these kids came in with a, with an artistic discipline, um, and like it, it was really a discipline for them. In any other way, they were just like a normal regular kid, ate their boogers, played in the dirt, all this stuff, but then they would also practice their instrument for three hours a day, <laughs> and these eleven year olds to be so disciplined to be like that. I, what, what was so beautiful and what I admired about it is that. They were they were at the cusp of becoming becoming a teenager, and that point where everything becomes boring, and everything like you know you hate everything, and it's just like this weird thing that's a, a switch in your brain that like as soon as you become a teenager, everything is just like whatever and uncool. And these kids were just right there, right before it, and it it was so neat observing their last moments of play with each other that they were. They were able to goof off freely without even w- caring about what other people thought about them. That that they were still presently, they were there in the moment, present with with one another, and not really thinking about any kind of external forces or pressure or anything. I think more people, especially artists, uh, have to have to remember that. Yeah, and um, it's also. Uh, maybe it's just where i'm at but it feels like there's a risk of not being not being taken seriously if you are at play but then the artist at play is in their mode of being a professional and so it's a weird combination uh not combination it's a weird um tension between the the real world in inverted commas where you have to take things seriously and then taking your job as an artist seriously enough so that you push back against the expectations of being serious and actually make room for play yeah i i could just i relate so much with uh the conservatory type of feel uh yeah. this kind of stuffiness towards towards coming at something with play when half the repertoire that they're playing like you think of anything that they're playing in the baroque era i mean was improvisi- improvised it was play uh you know there was just a basso continuo and the harpsichordists would just kind of play along and whatever whatever harmonies were coming by and probably even escaping from them from time to time if it worked well and nowadays yes. it's just like whatever's on the written page like right there like you got to get it and express it the best way you can but you know, no, no time for fooling around. <laughs> <laughs> Got to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to hear you said before about synesthesia, mm-hmm. and you mentioned it as some kind of creative tool. And I'm interested to hear you talk about what that feels like and what you can take from it when you are experiencing synesthesia. Yeah. So, I think. Jeez, I don't remember. I really don't remember the first time I probably experienced anything synesthetic. Um, other than maybe just watching things happen out of pure chance, 
uh, I think that's that's when I I realized maybe I picked up on certain things and um, whether whether it was something that I was maybe just walking down the street and uh, maybe looking at uh, a railing um, where there's multiple stops inside of it and while you're walking it kind of makes this blurred kind of like tremolo is how I would probably describe it you know this 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 visual idea just all of a sudden I, I start hearing in the back of my mind this little like kind of kind of sound uh that would that would go along with it and perhaps i was scared of it at first because i thought why is there this <laughs> connection coming on in my mind of of what i'm seeing visually and and hearing this little voice in my head that's kind of composing to it right then and there um but i learned to really i learned to really take hold of that i think that's a valuable tool um especially in expressing a lot of a lot of a lot of uh, material that we have today uh, look at so many so many media works uh that kind of reinvent visuals with sound or even vice versa sound with visual it uh you, you see an object and you expect it to have a certain sound if it hits the floor but if yes. but if you if if maybe the weight of the object doesn't make that sound when it hits the floor and it makes like a, a completely phony sound. I mean, that's that's where you get that's where you get anticipation and and a resolution in a completely different area. And I think that's where in the creative process you can really you can really kick in to really mess around with people's expectations, which who doesn't like to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. One of my favorite sounds of something dropping on the floor, favorite because it's so blood chilling, is somebody has dropped their phone on tiles or on cement. And mm -hmm. it's a very particular sound of, uh, I think, like basically a pane of glass just coming into contact with the hard surface of a tile. And even when I hear it behind me in a, a, a restaurant or something or on a train, and then you just know that that, what that person's going through and that they're picking it up and they're, they're seeing if there's a crack and they're pressing the buttons and it's just such a um it's somehow become like a, a meme sound of our generation because a generation ago we weren't carrying around such delicate objects every day and if you get caught in the rain then it doesn't matter like you're just wet yeah. but now you're like you have this delicate delicate thing that you can drop and yeah. the sound is like somehow like Pavlov's dog. Like you could play that sound to somebody and they would check their f their own phone even if they didn't have it out. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, you could definitely fool people that way. And it's that's that's funny. I, I, I love playing with people's expectations like that. And it's really a matter of just identifying what those, what those tiny little moments are in, in people's days that make people realize... Like wow, I really am anchored towards this sound, and that it yeah. will make me scared if I if I hear something similar to it because it's something I've experienced before. Yeah, and even uh, some of my favorite hip hop, and it's got police sirens in the background, <laughs> and I'm sure that that must freak people out the in the states <laughs> where it's made. But actually, sirens sound different around the world. So if you're listening to French hip hop and they have sirens in the background. It, it's not going to do the same thing to you because it's actually a different um, whale. Oh, no way. Which is pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. 
Um, but if we're now that I think about moving around the world and different communities being affected by different sounds, I'm really interested to hear your like how you bring together. I guess instruments that are from your family heritage and your genetic and cultural heritage and lineage with like this more conventional write the score down on a piece of paper and then have someone else play it just like the pre-colonial music and instruments and then like this this place that we find ourselves in where everything is learnt and recorded and expressed as technically perfectly to the written as it can be and how where like where do you sit within that when you choose instruments to work with even uh yeah that's that's really difficult because um these these instruments these pre-colonial instruments have a certain expectation kind of out of them uh yeah and and people who normally are, are considered virtuosos at them have practiced them in a certain style, in a certain technique that really only lends it to one way. And so you think of it as maybe uh, perhaps a preferred style. Um, yeah, or um, it's because, because the tradition surrounding that instrument is under attack. Uh then they become an ambassador for the upholding of tradition. And so they don't have the space or the time or the focus to see what else it can be a a vessel for in this current context because they're still trying to keep it alive. Yeah. I what I the the problematic aspect that I see in that is if someone is trying to keep a certain tradition alive in its most conservative sense, then really its its audiences are only going to be uh, those fascinated by 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 the history itself, and not so much with where this can go. And yes. I think that's where I have a lot of issues with um, I don't know playing traditional music on traditional instruments. I think these instruments have such unique voices, such unique colors. Um, that can be explored and can be used with a variety of other instruments uh, that you can find in the modern day orchestra or even further and with synthesizers and other electronic uh, instruments as well and so that's actually a a big part of a big part of the um, my my stylistic choice and when when choosing instruments to write for is that um i've i've slowly come to gather a good portion of of the old and the new and so one of my favorite instruments is uh is this beautiful double flute called a canacho and it's actually a a, like a a new design to the the old peruvian kenna which is a simple system flute just a piece of bamboo with five holes in it you don't need embouchure to play it you just blow right into the flute and it and it plays well, this particular designer of this instrument, um, this artisan, I should really call him, it made made a version of this kenna, but added a second part to it, making it a double flute. So on the one side, you have your pentatonic scale, and on the other side, you have a fundamental note uh, grounded in G. 
And so when you play both of these at the same time, you have, you have two voices. And the way he described it to me was uh, they're separated by two hemispheres. And so he saw this instrument as kind of in this more worldly kind of global aspect. And that was, that was something that interested me. Uh, it's almost like there's, there's this kind of enchantment behind this, behind this instrument that speaks a lot further than just the five notes that it can emit. So that started getting me into, uh, I guess, extended techniques with this piece of bamboo. Uh, I started messing around with, um, with, with, ways to, with ways to block the sound from one end of the flute and only emitting it to the other. And therefore, if I mess around only with the, with the, drone, as, the drone end of it, I can actually manipulate the sound in certain ways using the, the directional holes at the foot of the flute to to produce a completely different scale microtones and and therefore creating all these different voices that you can do with this flute that I don't think other people really would have thought of beforehand and using using these new palettes of sound and color I that's how I shape my my new language as as a Peruvian American I I see this I see this double this hybrid perspective and I can see it best uh when when done when done so this way and with with this kind of instrument There's something you made me realize at the beginning and we were talking about world, um, not sorry, we were talking about foreign film and now somehow we're talking about world music instruments <laughs> and that it's uh, another situation whereby pop culture has placed itself as the local and anything that is not post-colonial pop has been placed as an other, as foreign. Uh, but I like what you're saying that it, when in this embodied in this instrument is both hemispheres, and so you can't be either in or out. You have to be both hmm. to to make music with it. Yeah, or at least to extend to a, a wider range of audiences. I mm. I couldn't imagine getting even people like my friends into into traditional Peruvian music if they never grew up with it. Uh, yeah. You know, that's it's something particular to me that I enjoy because that is my kind of folk music. Um, but then again, so is the kind of music that I listened to on the radio when I was a kid. Uh, and yeah. and so is a bunch of other things, and so I can only imagine that those limitations um, uh, don't don't do it too much justice. And I think as as this as this identity that I bear uh, as a Peruvian American, I I seek to I seek to redefine it. Cool. Uh I really liked this thing that you said before about speculators in the creative environment or in the creative process mm. and that somehow 
if you're working with people, then you're coming on board as a fellow speculator. And I wonder if you could just speculate for us about what what is to come or what you hope is to come for music and for the instruments that you're working with and the ways that you're working. I guess it's like, what is your biggest hope for all of the efforts of bringing these things together and people together? I guess... My biggest hope would have to be to address those that don't feel like they fit within any any genre that's been named before. Even if it is, you know, experimental. Even experimental doesn't even fit them, you know, because they they are not as a person an ex an experiment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so for me, I I see a lot of that that misrepresentation, that 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 misleading an identity um, with a lot of people who are biracial, um, people who are a bit confused about exactly where they can call home, um, or or have many homes, too many homes to even call home. Uh, the kind of people that's that kind of uh, get this gut feeling whenever somebody asks you, like, where are you from? Like, geez, at this moment, I feel like I'm on, I'm from outer space, <laughs> uh, which uh, I think I think with the the music that I hope to create and the music that I I admire a lot really comes from those who who just don't feel like they're really a part of this world. Um, big fan of Sun Ra and Caroline Stockhausen, who. Even David Bowie, uh, they all thought at some point in their lives or for most of their lives that they were not part of this world, that they that they were from some part of the cosmos and the music that they wrote or the art that they performed was a they were a messenger for for those for those sounds, those those visions that they saw and communicated that to us, uh, uh, we the earthly beings. And I, uh, I just jive with that. I love that idea. I think, I think if we're really trying to tap into our creative, our creative well, it's really coming from something that's just it's it's not really part of evolution. You think of everything that that has sustained in order for hum the human race to survive, and the creative part just doesn't just doesn't really. Uh, it doesn't stand out for any reason for any will to survive, but it has. It has withstood all these generations and will continue to always withstand because that's just that's just human nature. Yeah, it's like there's uh levels of survival that could be attained without uh the need to make something that makes you feel connected with other people, but that's not enough. Somehow that wouldn't be living. And I, I think about that especially when I think about folk music because I don't know... Uh, mm, it's interesting what is called folk music and what is called ethnic music and what is called world music. 
because I imagine that most of it is folk music to somebody, but it, to different people, and so different people, are, and and some of it is folk music to a certain generation of people, and is also then no longer their music. Yeah, entirely. It, in fact, I actually I've always hated the term world music because. <laughs> What the hell does that even mean? It depends on what part of the globe you are and how ignorant you are to the other uh, the other uh, type of music that you're listening to that you're actually going to call it world music. Like it's not it's not it, it is of this world, <laughs> but it is it is not so. I, I just don't even know what the hell they're even trying to get at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. I it, do like um, the idea of when I think about folk music though or traditional music or cultural music i do think about people i I think about the the reason for that music to exist is to is for people to come together and to be together Hmm. and that seems to be the purpose of folk music or traditional even like um the kind of uh, jigs that are played in an irish pub it seems that that's not for uh, like global distribution. That music is from and for people to be together in a place at a time and um, have an experience whereby actually you can step up and take over one of those instruments so somebody who's been playing can have a drink. And it's for the player and it's also for the people listening and those, those boundaries are permeable. And there's something that I like about when you were talking before about synthesizers and I think about what has been synthesized and what has not yet been synthesized. So uh, an organ has been synthesized and pan flutes have been synthesized, but has a lager phone been synthesized or has a a didgeridoo or I I guess it has, I don't know. But the idea that... <laughs> or even like a tambourine is a tambourine like the clap somehow clapping has even been synthesized <laughs> and you don't need a room full of like 20 or 30 or 80 people to feel like there's a big uh group there having this experience clapping along you can just like dial it up and press the button and the clap happens well do you think that's a good or bad thing that it's all been synthesized um, I think of a synthesizer as a new instrument, not as a replication or replacement of any other in- instrument. I think the coolest thing is that we now have more instruments in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think there's... Um, I kind of think about human skill and ability with objects and that those objects augment and extend our ability and that a guitar with its strings and its resonant areas augments the ability of the hands to make sound Mm -hmm. Um, and that that's the same for clapsticks or for synthesizers or for Ableton Live. But by the time you get to you know, DJ software like Serato or Ableton or whatever to play a song can get more like 
triggering a song like on a, a music playing device like a Zune or an iPod or whatever or a record and it is less about that the music would stop if you stopped being in the moment of playing the music and so I don't know that there's a good or bad thing about how many more instruments we have but I see a trend whereby what it used to do to the person playing the instrument which is put them in a zone of attention and connection and play uh, and flow that that is not required for all of the instruments that we're now playing yeah it's like it's been like, relieved yeah the the human has been relieved of their duty <laughs> of their post and i feel like it, i had this spin out moment when i saw on like the bottom of itunes and it says you have 14 months worth of music or whatever if you've got a bunch of sound in there and then you what my thought was is like the the cat lady that dies in her apartment and nobody notices and her cats eat her that like they would be eating her to this symphony over many months like the music she could have had the music playing and then the music continues to play all through the michael jackson catalog all through the bark catalog mm -hmm. and all the while it's this surreal um f like Wes Anderson film or something <laughs> where like the cat, these, these, these house cats are ripping into this flesh to beautiful quartets that have been, and, and it just plays as she decomposes over the longest time. And that there's something about that, how the musical instruments don't, that, that each different instrument forces you to into a different mode. Like even the guitar, I don't think, or the violin is, perfect because it is so one-sided and in the dance training that i've done anything that you try on one side of your body you try on the other side to, so as to avoid favoritism or bias or um injury hmm. and i remember my friend that would always have like this big hickey looking welt on her neck from practicing violin many hours uh, a day yeah just on the one side and so i think that there's something that's like beautifully symmetrical then about some instruments and then about not. And like, which ones can you play and respond to a child if you're in an environment where there are small children? Like mm -hmm. a, a, a harmonic, is not a, a squeeze box, like the piano accordion. That's really something that you can play and then interact with people still or small children or whatever or reprimand someone for pushing someone else mm -hmm. and that's like this family environment so i just i think about instruments like that and all instruments just as tools like you know a doctor has surgical instruments and these are somehow cultural surgical instruments yeah i or another another instrument of mine that i that i'm particularly liking a lot now is uh my theremin uh by by moog called the theremini Oh, the theremini! That's yes. so cute. It is. It and is. If you really manage cute. to make it not sound spooky, I yes, that's that's my that was my biggest thing because the moment I looked up theremini or theremin anywhere on YouTube, you just get a bunch of like ethereal renditions of a violin uh, passage, and yeah, right. I am so fed up with it. Like I am sick <laughs> and tired of hearing the theremin sounding like just some string instrument and don't get me wrong like the the people who play it have to have 
incredible technique to get those kind of pitches and be able to to do the right kind of portamento at the right time to really give you that that same feeling but i think it's time that the theremin has its own sound and that it's not just replicating something else and mm. that's where i see the same thing that that you were just talking about this kind of symmetry in in uh in an instrument that i that this 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 new version of it by Moog lends itself to to be able to be manipulated uh, by Ableton like through your computer, so that way you can just completely redesign the sound. Um, oh, that's cool! And yeah, from the bottom up, you could even do it in in some program like Pure Data, where you can code it, so that way even even the the MIDI parameters and everything are completely up to you. You know, whatever you want, and and so then I finally feel like this is the first time in its history where where the theremin can finally have its own voice in which you make that you that you give birth to um but you you map out everything that you want to do uh from parameters from this you know the theremin has this kind of um this tactile sense to it so so that's even something that could be manipulated with and it's actually it's on my to-do list to do something with a, a dancer choreographer to to have this kind of be at play um Still got to think think it a little bit more through, but it it would definitely be something very interesting to do. What what do you think is your instrument when you speak about being Peruvian and American, and that I guess along with that means all the instruments that everybody who migrated to America brought with them, and all the instruments that the Spanish brought with them into Peru, and then all the instruments that were there before both of those colonizing forces got to those land masses, but then also what you've been brought up around, and then also now what's available with, like, coding the theremin <laughs> mini. Um, what, is, what is yours versus what is contemporary and now at your disposal? What is mine? Oh, man. Well, I grew up with piano, and... I guess I guess an instrument is really, and the way you identify in, with an instrument is is how well it can it can voice your ideas. And growing up uh, with with the piano alongside, I I thought that could best communicate uh, the ideas in my head. And as I, I I still think that's somewhat true. But I don't think. I see, I see so many limitations with it and so many things that other people have done before that it almost seems like I'm just repeating myself if I, if I go in that direction. Um, technologies like, you know, like, like the, the Theramini or any other kind of synthesizer, um, those do lend itself to a little bit more originality, if you will. And mm. therefore I've, I've grown closer to to the theremin in that way um but i still wouldn't even call myself a theremin player because i don't have i don't have that that kind of very strict technique to to play uh, i don't know some type of violin sonata on it and the canato even though it is a unique instrument a unique flute um that i believe is one of its kind i haven't found any other similar representations of it even in the big encyclopedia um, published by the conservatory in Peru it is a very unique 
instrument and I actually do identify with it so much but at the same time I still wouldn't call myself a flute player so ultimately I think I've identify closer to the computer because the computer has always been at the very center of of most of my uh most of my musical endeavors and i i don't think i would have considered it the computer an instrument um maybe five or six years ago until i joined a computer ensemble named beep uh beep at my school and and they pretty much taught you how to make a sound on your computer and what to do with that sound. And so many times you you just get so intimidated by the world of possibilities that's right in front of you. You can make you can replicate anything and you can make anything. And so where do you where do you stop? You know, where's the structure? Where's the form? As opposed to a violin or a guitar, you have limitations, physical limitations that you only know you can go so far. But with a computer, I mean, you can play around with the keyboard, the the microphone, the the accelerometer, if it's got one inside, like you got so many things that you can work with and not to mention plugins that you can just endlessly download um, that I think I've really found, I've really found a, a, a deep identification with this computer and maybe in 20 or 30 years, I'll become a cyborg and become one with the computer finally. <laughs> and do you find the synesthesia is crossing over into... Um, computer composing as well that instead of just thinking about like maybe you would have thought about a melody on a piano keyboard now you're thinking about what you could make from a computer I guess uh, saying melody on a keyboard I think so I think so linearly and yes then that just evokes those that kind of direction in in, in visuals, um, and I think the fascinating thing about computers is that it really breaks away that X Y axis. Yes, and you can really you start seeing a Z axis, and you start seeing depth, and you start seeing layers, and I it's it's entirely different than any other kind of acoustic instrument in that way. Um, uh, the world is just uh, it has it has no end. There's the possibilities are endless, uh, and and therefore the visions that you can have with it are are too endless and even I don't know just unthinkable, unimaginable at this point. And when when we're talking back about play, you know, just playing around on a computer, you you stumble into so many things that. I would have never, never would have imagined to conjure up, but maybe this mind that is inside uh, my computer has and, and does and replicates something in, in, a, in a different fashion that maybe I didn't entirely intend to, but it's a, it's, it's a, it's a happy accident. <laughs> yeah, and there's this, uh, this old model of thinking in your mind is really not how I understand it. I understand that you have the beginning of a thought or an action or an idea and then you you do something to the world um whether it's a, a scribbling on a piece of paper or starting to make pottery or whatever it is you do something and then the world as it's being affected and you observe it does something back to you 
Hmm. And so you do something to your uh, instrument, be it circuitry or strings, and then you hear that, and then that does something to you, and then you do something else. And so it's actually a process of thinking that encapsulates all the tools at your disposal. Entirely. And I wonder, without so that feedback, sorry, yeah, I, I was I was just agreeing with you entirely. Without that kind of yeah. feedback, I, I I think a lot of people would have uh, troubles continuing. Yes, and where would be the payoff as well for continuing? Why would you? Why would you? Because things are not forming themselves. I even sometimes do that when I'm trying to fix something on a, a motor car. I, I don't know what is the problem and I don't know how to diagnose it mm. or how to fix it. But I know that if I start, then something will be revealed to me. And so I still might not know, but now I know something else. <laughs> uh, and then I I wonder about all of this when you're saying about where is the structure, where is the form. I wonder about being strict or having a desire, but that's possibly a better way to put it, of making music, not noise, not chaos, not cacophony, but still, still having the composer's... Uh, ear or desire or discipline I I best remedy that with uh, the fundamental counterpoint uh, counterpoint is something that's that's taught to most musicians uh, when when they pursue their career in, in music and it is the the underlying basis of of most uh, most most well-written music most well-structured music most uh it doesn't have to be just in pitches and notes or frequency even but you hear counterpoint and you see counterpoint um so much in architecture and in in a lot of our in a lot of our lives and this is where you see the relationship between um two items and how they interact with each other in terms of contour and 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 space uh, and so i i pursue this this endless canvas that is the computer and its possibilities um with the direction of counterpoint uh so whatever whatever initial idea that i have there is an opposite and there is a complement and there's a counterpart and they all have something to do with each other and and that's how that's how it kind of unravels and do you know when something that you've made or something that you're working on is not yet music huh that's a good question do i know when something i've made or worked with it's not music. I guess my definition of music is just so loose um, mm. that I mean, is is music something with rhythm and harmony and melody, or if it doesn't have one of those, does it just automatically become sound? Yeah. Well, I, when we're, I guess when we're talking about, I love uh, 
most of what my composition is actually just editing waveforms. I, I just bring recordings in and then I put them in different places mm -hmm. uh, until it sounds right and affect them up and down octaves until it is not jarring. But that quite often is sounds that I, like there was this sync. It sounds a little bit art wanky, but there was a sync that I found that would bubble at the end, and it would. Um, it was some. It was a very strange sound, and because it was in a tiled room, it would echo, and it had a rhythm that was p consistent. And I don't know yet when I've put that sound into Ableton and I've made it with other sounds around it. I don't know yet if I've, if that, if I've, um, do you know what it feels like? I'm some kind of metal smith <laughs> and I've got the thing that I've heated up and then beaten. <laughs> and then how much do you have to beat it, this, this steel until it becomes the the shape that makes it the knife or the shield or whatever and i i thought about this the other day when i was thinking about i was in a hardware store and i was looking for a tool roll but i was thinking about actually about holsters mm. and that it would be cool i've seen on the internet a holster that you can wear on the side of your belt for chopsticks <laughs> <laughs> exactly and that's exactly what i thought i was like i i would always be ready to eat <laughs> if i had a holster with chopsticks in it and then i realized that a holster is not an object it's a concept it's the concept of how do i attach something at my hip but then the hip is not important it's how do i attach something at the place in space where my hand usually swings free mm. so that at a moment's notice i can grab it uh, and so I think that about taking any sound and making it from incidental to deliberate, I guess, is like the, com the, the, the act of composing is to notice and then to make it a choice so that it has been shaped by you maybe and then you obviously have been shaped by the world that you're living in and so every composition is a sh is made by the world just through you like you're talking about with Bowie and but I just know that there's quite often when I make stuff and it's not yet music and I have to keep beating it into some form of shape so that it can be listened to not um uh endured <laughs> I I believe you helped me uh, uh, find my answer to 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 this question. Is that I think I I don't call something music yet, or I don't release it yet, or I don't even ask for feedback yet because it's it's too much of an infantile idea that it it needs to have function. Whatever I create needs to have a function of wherever the piece of music is intended to go whether it's for uh, some movements or a gesture or for a piece of, of visual art, until the moment that I deem the sounds to have function, I think is, is, when, is when I would say uh, that it is finally music. I like that. And I like the idea that something is on its way that it's it's an idea but it hasn't 
realized itself and it needs time or it needs work or it needs your care Hmm. to get to the point where it can realize itself and then we worry about whether it's relevant to the task at hand and that's another concern but even before that it's about letting it become Mm -hmm. is there anything that i have failed to ask you or that you want to talk about or is there something that like you try and remind yourself when you're working on a project I or an epiphany that you've had in life <laughs> about an epiphany <laughs> yeah. yeah um you know what i i i'm here in new york and i moved here in august so it's only been a about uh, seven or eight months i guess since since i moved here and um the kind of interactions and the minds that I'm constantly around have myself always questioning the validity of of you know what I'm doing here and whether I deserve to be here and I think you know any artist no matter where they're at always goes to this question and keeps these questions in mind and whenever I I have these questions or have these doubts I I I'm actually happy that I have them. I think I think that's very worthwhile to always check in with yourself as a creative to make sure you, that you're doing something for the right reason and that you're actually fulfilling your purpose. And that it doesn't just become one day uh, this kind of like back of the mind kind of task that like, oh, you kind of maybe not find so much joy in doing anymore. Yeah. But it's actually something that, yeah, if I wasn't creating... Um, every day then then my my day would feel different or my my life would kind of feel a little bit more empty and I think I think for any any artist that ever doubts themselves that that ever thinks um, that maybe they're not doing enough or they're not doing the things the right way that they think they are or that like you know this this nine to five job that I'm doing bagging groceries just just doesn't you know, I'm, this, this isn't me, I, I'm supposed to be an artist, but I need the money, I need to make rent. I think all of, all of that is, is what's necessary to be, to be a good creative. You need those kind of experiences, and you need that kind of discipline. And sometimes if you need to put something else forward because you like to eat three times a day, that's okay too, as long as in the back of your mind, uh, you're, you're, you're shaping out time to, to really get in touch with yourself again. Hmm. I guess I just want to end on that note for our viewers, uh, which I'm <laughs> sure most of our artists and most of them do question themselves. I, I don't think I hear that enough. I don't think I hear that enough at all. I think a lot of people try to show off their intellect and their success, but tell me about your failures, and that's that's how I'll judge you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like that. You learn best yeah, from those. Yeah, it's like. If you try and uphold the image that you've got it all sorted, then you're you're not listening anymore to the help that is being offered, yeah. <laughs> or the actually the fun of doing this thing, which is to say that I don't know, maybe you know, and if you don't know, and I don't know, maybe if we do something together, 
<laughs> we might figure it out. <laughs> yeah, and all we might figure out is a better question. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I I do enjoy art that actually doesn't provide the answers, uh, more yeah. so reframes a question differently. That's effective. Thanks, Carlos. Thank you so much, Matt. This was a pleasure. <laughs> what a pleasure. Uh, all right, so let's call that the official end. And I'll, I'll stop.